This has been a dream of mine for quite some time because this church means the absolute world to me. Uh, when I look out at the people sitting in the pews this morning, I don't just see people sitting in pews. I see people that have impacted my life at every single step of, of the way. I look at uh, teachers, and I look at coaches, and I look at uh, fr- parents of my friends, and people who have uh, just influenced me and shaped me in the way that you have. And so from the bottom of my heart this morning, before we begin our time together today, I want to say thank you. Thank you for, for being a church that is committed to loving your members. Thank you for being a church that's committed to developing the next generation. And above all, thank you for being a church that is committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the foundation on which this church does everything that they do. And that is the foundation that I want us to consider this morning. As I think about this church and what it has meant to me over the years and what I wanted to say to you this morning, there was one word that just kept coming to my mind over and over again, and it's the word encouragement. Encouragement. You know, we all love a little encouragement, don't we? Isn't it interesting how just a simple word of encouragement can sometimes change the trajectory of your whole day? Somebody can tell you something in the morning, and that might just put you in the mood that you need to be in to get through the rest of the day. And the encouragement we receive from the world, it's good. It's well-intended. It's nice. But I think it's important for us to know that it's also temporary. We'll always need to hear that other word of encouragement. We'll always need to make the next Google search to find that encouraging quote, or we'll have to hear it again from our boss or from our spouse or from our teacher. The encouragement we receive from the world, it's good. Matter of fact, sometimes it can be great, but it's important for us to know that it's temporary. But what I want to show you this morning is that although the encouragement from the world is good and it's temporary, I want to show you today that the gospel fuels true encouragement. The gospel fuels true encouragement. If you've got a copy of God's Word this morning, I want to invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians 1, we're going to be looking this morning at verses, I'll read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll spend our time in verses 3 through 11 today. And so as you're turning there, we'll begin Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we open your word this morning, and as we have heard it read, I pray that it would sink into our hearts. Father, I pray that this time would be pleasing in your sight. God, as we seek to understand what you are saying to us today, I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, that we might see what wonderful things are in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So let me set the stage for us here a bit before we get into this book. Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi to essentially say thank you. Uh, Paul is writing a, a, approximately A.D. 60. He's imprisonment in Rome, and he's writing this letter to say thank you to the church in Philippi because they had sent him some sort of gift. You see, back in these days, whenever a person was imprisoned, they were fully dependent on the gifts of their friends in order to survive in the prison. And so they had sent him some sort of gift by way of a man named Epaphroditus. And so Paul, he's essentially just writing this letter to say thank you. But what's so unique about this letter is that Paul is overflowing with joy and thanksgiving. I mean, are you kidding me? He's writing this letter from prison, and the tone of his voice is joyful. You know, I think there's a lot we can learn about that, what it looks like to count it all joy in the midst of all circumstances, but I think that's another sermon for another day. What I want us to focus on this morning is what Paul begins his letter with to this church. Before he gets into his personal update, before he tells them thank you, before he even gives them an update on Epaphroditus who had sent him the gift in the first place, Paul simply takes the time to encourage the church in Philippi because the gospel fuels true encouragement. How does he do that? How does Paul fuel them with true encouragement? And there's a a few implications that I want us to look at this morning. And the first is to encourage one another with prayer. This morning, as we make observations about Paul, we're going to turn them into implications or applications for ourselves. And so what we see Paul do, we're going to follow suit as well. And so encourage one another with prayer. See if you can see that with me in the text. Look at verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel. It's the gospel, it's the partnership they have in the gospel that fuels the encouragement with prayer that Paul makes. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. It's important for us to note that commentators, they say that it had been approximately 10 years since Paul had first preached to this church in Philippi, yet here he is in prison in Rome, and he is still thankful to God for the church in Philippi for these believers. So what does that tell us? It tells us that regardless of our circumstances, We should be praying for others around us. Now, this doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're sitting on our knees in prayer. That's not what Paul is doing. But the implication here is that every time Paul did think about these brothers and sisters in the church in Philippi, he thanked God for them. And I want to show you a couple of ways that we see Paul pray in this text that will hopefully become implications for our prayer lives as well. And the first is that he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. Look, look at the text, verse 3. He says, I thank my God. He was so thankful, not just for the people themselves, not just for the church in Philippi, but for the work that God had done in their lives, redeeming them to himself. It's important for us to know that Paul planted this church in Philippi, and so he knew the people that he was writing to. He knew the men in the church and the sin that they struggled with. He knew the women in the church and the struggles that they faced in their society. He knew the children in the church and the way that they were being raised. These were people who Paul got to see visibly transformed by the gospel. And so he was thankful every single time that they came to his mind. And this thanksgiving overwhelmed him to the point that he prayed to God, thanking them for what he had done in their lives. It's the work of the gospel that fueled this prayer because when Paul thought about these people, he didn't just think about people in a church. He thought about people who had been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. He thought about people who were once far off but had been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
He thought about people who were once sinners but saved by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus. And so when we, like Paul, see the work of the gospel in the lives of those around us, we can't be anything but thankful for what he is doing. And so when you think about the people in this church, when you think about your Christian coworkers, when you think about the people you go to school with, those that you do life with who have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the implication is for us to be thankful and then offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he has done in the lives of those who are around us. And so first thing Paul does is he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. What else? Skip down with me to verse nine. We'll come back to these verses in a moment, but I want you to see another implication about prayer. He says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. The second type of prayer we see is a prayer for love. He prays that they would grow in their love for one another. And so how would this happen? Well, their love for others would grow deeper as their love for God grew deeper. The more they loved God, they more, the more that they would love people. This is exactly what Jesus gets at in the great commandment. You remember when he, the ruler comes and asks him, says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so a love for God fuels a love for people. Like I said, we'll come back to these verses in a moment, but what I want you to see is what Paul is praying for. He prays a prayer of thanksgiving, and then he prays that they would grow in love. And so the the first implication we see is that Paul encourages them with prayer, but I want us to notice something else. We wouldn't be reading this today unless Paul told them. You see, Paul didn't just encourage these people by praying for them. Paul told them he was praying for them. It's one thing to offer up a prayer for people that are around you, but it's another thing. Man, what a wonderful way to encourage somebody to actually tell them that you are praying for them. This is a phenomenal source of true encouragement that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, who is it in your life that you have seen God absolutely transformed by the gospel? Listen, we got a, we got a room full of people this morning. But who is it in your life that you have witnessed God do a miraculous work of saving a sinner and bringing them into his family that you can say, God, I am thankful for that person. You can pray for them. You can tell them that you are praying for them. And you can pray that they would grow in their love for God and therefore in their love for one another. So it's wonderful. It's wonderful that Paul prays for them, but he doesn't stop there. Look at what he does next. Look at verse 6. Remember, these are people that are, that are partners in the gospel. So where does Paul go? He goes to the gospel, verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The second point for us to consider this morning is to encourage one another in the gospel. We see it here in verse 6 when he says, he who began a good work in you. This is a reference to God calling you to believe in him. And so whenever you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God, through the Holy Spirit, opened up your eyes to see the glory of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and then you trusted in Jesus Christ. And so the good work that's referenced here in verse 6 has begun. He had called you to himself by the Holy Spirit, and you responded to him by faith. But here's the encouragement. Paul says, if that has happened, if God has called you to himself, then he will finish what he started. He's not going to let you trust him and then just leave you high and dry to figure it out by yourself. But he will be with you 
to finish what he started with you. The song we just sang a moment ago, never once did we ever walk alone. God's promise, even when he ascended into heaven, was to be with his people. And so if we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can trust in the promise that God will be with us to finish what he started. We could say it like this. If God has saved you, he will, in fact, sanctify you. Now, sanctify, what does that mean? Sanctification is the process of us continually becoming more and more like Christ. And so if you are a Christian, every day you are growing closer and closer to Christ until one day you will stand before God in heaven and be perfectly like Jesus. We call that glorified. But the promise of this text is that if God saved you, we can trust him that he will sanctify you. He's not going to quit in doing this. No, no, no. He's a God who is who he says he is and does what he says he will do. He will absolutely finish what he starts. There's nothing more encouraging than this in all of the world. And we need to hear it over and over again. Why? Because we so often forget. You know, if you're like me, sometimes you tend to put more focus on yourself and you think about your situation and your heart than you do God's. Listen to what the Bible tells us about our heart. Jeremiah verse seven, chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Psalm 51, verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive. Romans three twenty three, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you hear anything hopeful in these verses? No, there's not any. We are a people entirely affected by the doctrine of sin and left on our own. We are on the fast track to punishment in hell. This is an unavoidable reality. And so do you see why it's so important that we encourage people with the gospel? Because left on our own, we are absolutely hopeless, but the gospel is full of hope. On our own, we're absolutely helpless, but the gospel is full of help. On our own, we are absolutely alone. But the gospel is full of fellowship with Jesus Christ. On our own, we are sinners. But the gospel is full of the amazing, saving work of Jesus Christ. Think with me some more about the good news of this verse. I love it. This verse tells you and it tells me that regardless of the difficulty of this life, regardless of the situations that you're in, regardless of the mistakes that you have made, Regardless of what's happening around you, God is going to finish what he started. Church, this verse gives us the ability to look into the future with hope when everything around us seems hopeless. And so what does that mean for you and me? That means that we can keep pressing on. It means that no matter how thin that thread gets, you find yourself hanging on to, you can keep hanging on because God is still with you. God is still completing the task that he started when he called you to himself. It means that we can just say as Paul does in chapter three, that I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. What is the prize? It is absolute unity with Christ in eternity. And the promise is that it's ours. It's guaranteed in Christ Jesus. And we need to remind ourselves of this promise every single day. Here's a point of application if you're taking notes this morning. We as Christians need to preach the gospel to ourselves and then run with the encouragement of the gospel towards others. We need to do as Paul does in this text and take an encouraging conversation about prayer and get to the most encouraging conversation that ever existed. Look with me at verse 7. 
He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. We take the encouragement of the verse in our lives and we give it to others because we hold them in our heart because they are partakers of grace, meaning meaning that they are brothers and sisters of ours in Christ, that we are one big happy family in the family of God. And we want to be an encouraging family. A family that reminds ourselves and reminds others of the work that God has done in our lives and the work that he is continuing to do once he called us to himself. If he saved you, he will, in fact, sanctify you. We serve a God who finishes what he starts. He keeps his promises. And so whenever we do as Paul does and we pray for people and we let them know that we're praying for them, we want to encourage them in the gospel because it's the only hope that we have. Listen, the the final implication I want us to see this morning, it comes from verses eight to verse 11, and we've already visited these verses once, but I want us to go back to see what Paul says and dig into it a little more. Look with me at verse eight. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Listen, Paul, he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let me sum that up for you. Paul loves them. Paul loves the people that he's writing to in Philippi. And so the final point I want us to see this morning is that we should encourage one another with love. Look again at verse 8. You see where it says, the affections of Christ Jesus? This is amazing. This means that Paul loves these people the way that Christ loves these people. And so in order for us to understand how Paul loves, let's think about how Christ loves. You remember Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still living in rebellion, while we were still disobedient, Christ died for us. Church, this is a sacrificial type of love, where you put the interest of other people before the interest of yourself. And so when Paul prays for them to grow in this love, he prays that they would grow in the love in which Christ loved us. Let's think about how much Christ loved us. Listen, he humbled himself from his throne in heaven to this earth to live a perfect, sinless life. I've been encouraging our college students every single week that we are saved not just by the death of Jesus, but by the life of Jesus. That the righteousness we have because of salvation is given to us because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. But he left his throne in heaven to come to this earth. Philippians tells us that he humbled himself. But he didn't stop there. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The death that you and I deserve to die. The cross that you and I deserve to be hung on. Christ went there. He became a curse for us. Why? Because he loved us. And so Paul is praying that they would grow in this type of love. Paul himself, he has this type of love towards the church in Philippi. It's a humble love where he does as he says in Philippians chapter 2. And he counts others more significant than himself. Church, do you love people in this way? Are you the type of person that people can look at and say, man, that guy or that gal, they love people well. Can people look at the way that you love and see the love of Christ? Listen, one of the greatest ways in the world that we can encourage somebody is loving them. And I would venture to say that if there's anything that the world needs to see be true of Christians right now, it is that they love one another. 
Jesus himself says it in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, by this all people know you are my disciples. How? Because you have love for one another. Listen, loving people is true encouragement because it points people. Listen, it points people to the greatest act of love of all time. The Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. And so when we show this love to one another, we point people to Jesus. When we love people, we point people to the one who so loved the world that he went to the cross in their place. The one who so loved the world that he refused sin his whole life. Listen, the one who so loved the world that even when he prayed, my God, if possible, let this cup pass from me, he followed it with, yet not as I will, but as you will. The one who loved us so much that he went to the cross in our place. The one who loved us so much that even when he ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us, but he promised his Holy Spirit once again to be with us. A promise he had been making ever since the beginning of time. And so just our simple acts of love as Christians point people to the greatest act of love ever from Jesus Christ. And Paul encourages these people by loving them and by praying that they would grow in this type of love for one another. Not only because it reflects Christ, but because it helps them follow Christ. Look with me at verse 10. He's making this prayer so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's praying that that they would grow in love so that they would see the good things that God is calling them to do. So that they would stand in purity, so that they would be blameless before the day of Christ because of their love for God. They're being united to God. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That they would grow in love so that they would be bearing the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, all the things that Jesus perfectly is for us. He's praying they would grow in love so that they would be those things for other people as well. Why? To the glory and praise of God. This is Paul's purpose. This should be our purpose. That as we encourage one another with prayer, as we encourage in the gospel, as we encourage by loving one another, we do all of it to the glory and to the praise of God. And so Paul here prays that they would grow in love because it helped them and it would help others follow Jesus all to the praise and the glory of God. Church, as we kind of wrap up this morning, let me remind you of that, of that main point. The gospel the gospel, nothing else, the gospel fuels true encouragement. I hope that you were able to see that both Paul's prayer and Paul's love were motivated by that center point of the gospel. And I want to ask you this morning, has the gospel affected you in that way? Has the gospel affected you in such a way that you are an encouragement to others, that you pray for people? that you encourage them in the gospel, that you love them? Has the gospel affected you in that way? Listen, I know that for many of you it has because I grew up in this church and it's been nothing but an encouragement to me. But if it has not, then I want you to know that the God we talk about this morning, the God that we sing about, the Jesus who is proclaimed in this text desires for you to come to him. He humbled himself for you lived a sinless life for you, died on the cross for you. And so if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you feel him calling you to himself this morning. The invitation is to respond. But for many of you, you've been following the Lord for quite some time. 
And the gospel has affected you in this way, but you've struggled to be an encouragement. The call for you this morning is still to respond. It's to respond by confessing your sin. God, I'm sorry. I have not been an encouragement. And then resting in the amazing grace that he gives to you, that you can walk out of here this morning being the most encouraging person in the world because of how you've been affected by the gospel. As I mentioned earlier, I'll say it again. I could say it all day. This church has been an absolute encouragement to me. And so I, like Paul, want you to know this morning, I'm praying for you. I love you. I always will. And this morning as we close, I want to give you a challenge. And it's this. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving people. Keep praying for one another. Keep encouraging people in the gospel. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for how that penetrates the hearts of people. God, I pray that this morning there's a person sitting in here today who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. I pray that they have seen the gospel this morning and that they would respond to you in faith. God, I pray for the Christian in the room this morning who has just struggled to be an encouragement. God, I pray that they would walk out of here this morning and the promise of the gospel that you are with us, that you will finish what you have started in our lives and so we can walk in obedience to you, trusting that you will be with us every single step of the way. God, thank you for First Baptist Starkville. Thank you for the wonderful, tight-knit church that they are. Thank you for the way that they love people. God, thank you for the way that you have first loved them. And I pray that we would be encouraged with your great love this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Pray all this in Jesus' name.